Good morning. We are in the middle of a series entitled Adventure versus Anxiety. Uh, if you're visiting with us or just joining with us, this setup uh, comes from Edward Friedman's book, A Failure of Nerve. Uh, Friedman, is this working? It's just like really far away from my face. Oh, that was worse. Excuse me. There we go. Friedman, who was an ordained Jewish rabbi and family therapist who uh, often consulted on issues of leadership, uh, used this, he employed this setup, adventure versus anxiety, as a way of making sense of how we make decisions. And uh, he suggests that we typically make decisions either from a place of anxiety or a place of adventure. And we've said that this is not clinical anxiety. This is not really even just anxiety in general either. This is a very specific kind of anxiety that accompanies the need to be certain of an outcome. Friedman thinks that the need to be certain of how things will turn out actually handicaps our ability to make decisions that will yield the most transformation. So as Christians, this is a helpful setup to evaluate our own decisions. Are we making decisions from a place of anxiety, a place of uh, or a desire for certainty, worrying about things that are often outside of our control? Or are we making decisions from a place of faith? Do we see our, our, even the smallest decisions in our life as acts of faith? Of course, if faith is driving, doubt is riding shotgun for most of us. And that's okay, right? That's okay. Because doubt is not the enemy of faith. Certainty is. So we've been looking at the story of David and Goliath with this in mind. Thomas brought to our attention that we've been tricked into thinking that this story really is only about two characters, David and Goliath. But in all actuality, there's a lot more characters in this story whose decisions change the outcome not only for their own lives, but for the lives of others, for the kingdom of Israel. So our text for this morning concerns one such character. Now we're joining the story just after David's older brother, Eliab, has admonished him for sticking his nose into military business. So read with me 1 Samuel 17, verses 29 through 37. Listen now for God's word for us this morning. David said, what have I done now? It was only a question. He turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Gracious God, speak now your reconciling and your liberating word and give us the grace to hear it and to obey it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I've got two related confessions for you this morning. 
I figure I've been here a few months. It's time I start confessing <laughs> to you all. It's nothing like that vulnerability. Uh, the first confession is that I really, 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 really like to watch TV. If you have a conversation with me, you'll soon find out that I love TV. And I think it's because I think the best story, I, I really like stories, and I think that some of the best stories are being told through the medium of, of television right now. And one of my favorite storytellers is a writer and director by the name of David Simon, whom you might know from the greatest TV show of all time, The Wire. We can argue about that sometime if you'd like. Come prepared. <laughs> the reason I love David Simon is that he, the stories he tells un- uncovers things that are kind of going on before our very eyes. And in most cases, without us really knowing that, that it's going on. His stories are deeply human stories, and they, can, they connect to, to our stories. And oftentimes, we can fi- kind of locate ourselves inside the stories that he tells. Now, before Simon wrote The Wire, however, he was working on a different show. He wanted to tell the story of how public housing came to Yonkers, New York. Now, uh, this script uh, took a really long time, and it turned into a minis- miniseries just this last summer, and it was titled Show Me a Hero. Now, you can, like, go on Wikipedia. I mean, it's a true story, so you can go on Wikipedia and, like, learn all the details of it. So I've, it's safe to say that, like, the spoilers that are about to come, I can't be faulted for. It's a true story. Um, but just so you're prepared, you know, prepare yourself if you wanted to watch the show. I get it. We live in the world of Netflix, and you, you're binge-watching shows, so I'm going to try not to ruin it for you. But the show tells the story of a young, ambitious politician who gets himself elected by promising to uh, fight a judge's order to build more public housing in this city uh, that has typically been segregated along racial and socioeconomic boundaries. Now, um, he soon realizes two things at the same time, though. And the first is that fighting this judge's order is going to be futile. I mean, there's really no fight here. And secondly, he realizes that he doesn't align ideologically with the people who are trying to keep certain folks out of their area of town. So he flips. He changes his mind and instead tries to make public housing happen in Yonkers. So I knew almost nothing about this story when I, when I started watching the show. I just knew that I was a David Simon fan and this, the title of the show sounded awesome. Um, I initially thought it was going to be a, a story about a young man who, or a young mayor who, through a brilliant display, display of leadership, uh, solves this enormous problem and unites his community. You know, with a title like Show Me a Hero, I figured, show me, show me a hero. This is not what the story is about. Show Me a Hero is essentially a story about living as a character inside of a story in which you are not the hero. The title comes from F. Scott Fitzgerald. Show me a hero, and I'll write you a tragedy. The young mayor is soon replaced by another mayor. This was back when they had two-year two terms, I guess, in Yonkers. And this mayor uh, brought uh, this project to completion. And the tragedy of the story is that the young mayor self-destructs because he cannot sh- shake the need to live up to this ideal image that he had of himself. That's this great hero of Yonkers, as the one who would unite his community, who would bring um, racial reconciliation to his community. He can't shake that, and so he self-destructs. You might be wondering, I like to watch TV. That sounds like a good show. Why are you talking about it right now? (laughs) What does this have to do with David and Goliath? Well, my second confession is that the person I least identify with in this story 
It's David. Does anyone else feel that way? The story, which we are all at this point probably overly familiar with, goes something like this. David, who has just been anointed king of Israel, his dad sends him to check on his brothers who are often camped uh, with Israel's army, which is in this standoff with the, the Philistine army. So he kind of just waltzes into camp with some bread and cheese for his brothers and their, command, their commanders uh, to go check on them. And at this time, Goliath, this giant Philistine, is taunting Israel's army. Which leads David to kind of ask the kind of questions that younger brothers tend to ask. Pretty annoying ones. And I can say that because I'm the younger brother. But he like waltzes in and he's like, you know, why isn't anyone doing anything about this super complicated situation? (laughs) His older brothers are like, all right, okay, get out of here. Right? And then David's like, what? I mean, I'm just asking a question. Like, why isn't anyone doing anything? In our text for this morning, it appears David somehow, through this strategy, has gained an audience with Saul, the sitting king of Israel, in which David tells Saul that he will go and fight Goliath. That as a shepherd who has defeated lions and bears, he sees Goliath as a giant target, too slow to dodge the stones from his sling. David is unflinching in his confidence that God will give him victory over this giant in the same way that God gave him victory over these lions and bears that he protected his flock from. David's faith is truly astonishing. It really is. And my first reaction to David when we began this series, though, was that he was naive and young and pretty arrogant. (laughs) I'm not so sure now. He arrived on the scene not as the hero, but as an errand boy. And when Saul questions his qualifications, he's quick to point out that his success in defeating these lions and bears that have come after his flock came only as a result of God's grace and favor on him. I think I first found David naive and arrogant because I'm probably more like Saul than I am like David. And it would make sense, right? More sense for me if Saul would tell David to get lost like his brothers do. Because even if Saul believed that David could defeat Goliath, even if he could defeat Goliath, what would that mean for Saul? I mean, everyone at that point would know that David is the hero and not Saul. Indeed, how do you live as a character inside a story in which you are not the hero? There's not many stories recorded in Scripture that depict Saul as doing really anything heroic, doing anything right. Throughout his tenure as king, we discover that he's anxious, he's corrupt, he's vindictive, he's insecure. We know that he's just as paralyzed with fear at at the sight of this giant Goliath as his men. They're all scared. And his first response to David is to tell him, you're too young, you're too inexperienced. That, That giant will crush you. And even after Saul experiences some form of transformation whereby he's able to say, go and the Lord be with you, he insists that David use his armor, his sword, the weapons that he's grown accustomed to using. We also know that Saul's transformation doesn't last, right? This event sets in motion Saul's bitterness and resentment toward David because David is now the anointed king to whom God will give victory over Israel's enemies. As a result, we know that Saul attempts to kill David later on. 
So you can see why this is indeed a confession. (laughs) Because if I'm being honest, Saul is the character that I identify most with in this story, not David. On the anxiety versus adventure spectrum, he is most often on the anxiety side of things. And for reasons that I really can't understand. When he became king of Israel, Israel was in bad shape. They were a disconnected kind of um, confederation of tribes being led by different judges. And their lack of unity made them easy targets for their stronger neighbors all around them. Easy prey. So from from the beginning, Saul has struggled to be the hero of a nation that desperately wanted one. We know what this is like. We're not probably struggling to be the hero of our nation. But, but, we all know what it's like to live up to the expectations of others, to want to live up to the expectations of others, especially when those expectations mean that we might be the hero of our company, of our congregation, right? This is true for young pastors. I don't know, fresh out of seminary. To be the hero of our community, to be the hero of our family. This is true. We can relate to this. After all, there's a lot of giants. There's many problems to fix. With people counting on us and cheering us on, it's easy to become addicted to their cheers, to their praise. And once we become addicted to this ideal image that other people are projecting onto us, we'll do almost anything to stay high. But in our desperation to be the hero, we often do more damage than good. We often ridicule the efforts of others who God has called to face the giants we are too afraid to face, like Saul does to David. You're too young. You don't have the right training. Or, are you sure that God has called you to do this thing? Or you're too old. You're not relevant enough anymore. Have you seen that giant? That giant cannot be defeated. Just go back to doing whatever you were doing before. Once we've uh, ridiculed other would-be heroes, we tend to offer to help them, but in the wrong ways, right? I mean, Saul places all of his armor and his helmet on David and gives him his sword. But David is not a soldier. And if David is to succeed at doing the thing that God has called him to do, David has to remember that he is not a soldier, that he is a shepherd with a unique perspective and a unique set of talents. At this point, I'm not sure which is worse, Saul's ridicule or his advice. Or maybe after our ridicule and advice to others has been ignored, we grow to resent the ways that God shows up for them and not us. We're tricked into thinking that if God shows up for others, God must not get to show up for us. We believe that God's grace is scarce, in danger of running out. I mean, from this point on, Saul keeps David close because you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And threatened by David's calling, influenced by this theology of scarcity, Saul eventually tries to kill David to eliminate this threat of his image of this ideal hero of Israel. And I will say, you know, I have to note that it's remarkable to me that Saul allowed David to fight Goliath at all. It complicates this picture I have of Saul, of this vindictive king. But I think it reminds me, and I think it should remind us, that none of us stand outside of God's grace to be included, to be transformed, to play a part in the story of God's redemptive act in defeating the giants that defy him. 
What about you? How do you live as a character in a story in which you are not the hero? What if God is doing something miraculous, but you are not the star? You're not the hero. What if you're like Joseph, Mary's fiance, mother of Jesus? Nobody wants to be Joseph in the Christmas play. My, uh, I had a professor who used to say that. You just kind of stand there. You got no lines, right? But one thing I'm confident of is that if God is doing something miraculous, transformative in the life of someone else, that you will be changed by it. How will you receive that change? I think one of the greatest adventures God might be calling each one of us to is to be transformed by the way God is working in someone else's life. Will you respond with faith or with anxiety to what God is doing around you in and through others? Will you, like Saul, resent how God shows up for other people? So how do you live as a character in a story in which you're not the hero? I think first it means recognizing that God works in ways that often surprise us, right? Many of us want God to face the Goliaths that threaten us with the same weapons Goliath uses and the same weapons we've grown accustomed to using. This is what Saul does. Saul kind of, you know, arms him with his, his sword and his helmet and his heavy coat of mail. But if you're going to face a giant, you don't need to use the giant's weapons. God calls shepherds to battle giants, Sometimes, And I wonder what giants you are facing armed with the wrong weapons. I wonder who the shepherds are in your life that you're ignoring, ridiculing, rather than paying attention to God's miraculous action in their life. And notice that this is not just true for us personally, but this is true for us as a church, as a congregation. There's a lot of giants to face. A lot of giants to face. Who are the shepherds in our congregation, in our community, in the Christian church that are saying, God's calling me to, to, to take a stab at this giant? Are we paying attention to them? Are we willing to be surprised by how God will work through people we least expect? Secondly, I think it takes embracing our Christian vocation as witnesses. One of the most important things we can learn in all of our Christian life, I think, is how and when to get out of the way of what God is doing when God is doing something. Of course, this takes careful discernment and humility, and if we've grown accustomed to being the hero, this will surely threaten our identity. But we should remember that we're in good company as witnesses. Just before Jesus ascended, after God raised him from the dead, do you remember the scene? He's with his disciples, and the disciples ask him, Jesus, is now, is now the time that we're going to really build this kingdom? Is now the time that we get to be the heroes of Israel? Do you remember what Jesus told them? It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in the ends of the earth. Both of these, recognizing that God works in ways that often surprise us and embracing our true vocation as Christians, as Christians, to be witnesses, will take understanding what this story is all about. It's not about David. It's not about Saul. It's certainly not about Goliath. This story is all about God's faithfulness. 
The hero of the story is not David. The hero of the story is the living God, who in God's faithfulness called David, anointed David, to lead Israel to victory by facing a giant. My friends, this is the same God who has come to us in Jesus Christ, whose name literally means anointed one, to face the giants in our lives, in our cities, in our churches. Like Saul, we're given the decision to be faithful witnesses, to get out of the way, to be surprised by what strange new thing God might be up to. The question remains, Will we choose the adventure of beholding God's transforming work in the lives of others or the anxiety of playing the hero? Pray with me. Gracious God, we are aware, all too aware, of the giants that we face from day to day. These giants are overwhelming to us. We're not sure how to defeat defeat them. We humbly ask that you would send along the people that you have called to help us figure out how to start defeating them. We ask that we would get out of the way when we need to get out of the way. We ask that you would help us be witnesses to the ways that you will work in our midst to bring these giants to their knees. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, without whom we would have no hope to face these giants. In your name we pray. Amen.